catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast, where explorers and adventurers tell their stories. Coming up. So I waited on the road for a car to pass by. And one car did with two local men. They picked me up. I shared a backseat with the sheep. And instead of driving me into the next village, they took a right turn into the bush. And in that moment, I, I thought, okay, so here it is. This is the bad moment that everybody is going to experience. And... They dropped me, um, we arrived at a huge gate, the gate opened, and there was this big beautiful house, full of beautiful women, all dressed up, which was very strange. And in my mind, I thought, maybe I stumbled into a human trafficking gang. I'm John Horsfall, and on this weekly podcast, we talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders, and many more. I hope this podcast sparks ideas and inspires you to explore and go on your own grand adventure. If you've enjoyed the podcast so far, please feel free to subscribe and to join this incredible community. Today on the podcast, we have an extraordinary guest. Marsha Jean has traveled all over the world, leaving home at 18 with a one-way ticket to Australia, unknown to what was about to happen. She has traveled all parts of the world, from Afghanistan to Tajikistan, she did a 19-day trek with a donkey in the Wakan Corridor. And today on the podcast, we talk about some of her incredible experiences around the world. So I am delighted to introduce Marsha Jean to the podcast. Thank you for having me here. Uh, absolute pleasure. Well, I mean, you've done some incredible stuff from such a young age. I mean, for the last six years, you've been traveling all over the world. Probably for everyone listening who doesn't know you, best place to start is how you got started with this life of travel. I actually got started um, in a rather grim way. I went, I booked a one-way ticket to Australia. I was 18 and I actually ran away. I just ran away from home and I wanted to commit suicide after traveling with what money I had. And that didn't happen. And I ended up 
getting a job and then travel and then just kept going. Wow, so you, God, that's incredible. So what, it sort of started from quite a dark place. Yes. With no sort of plan in sight. No. So the first stop was Australia. Yeah. And then you what, you were there for sort of 10, a year or so working away before you sort of took the leap to sort of travel solo. Yeah, uh, I was there traveling and working for 10 months around. And then I went to Southeast Asia and then um, went to Iran and then Europe and worked in London and then went to Central Asia. Nice. Well, I mean, I, I know Central Asia quite well because you've done this incredible trip in the Wakang Corridor with a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> what was that about and how did you come up with this idea for it? So actually, okay, how it really started was I watched the movie called Walter Mitty. And it's a movie about a guy going to, the, to Afghanistan to chase after a photographer. Then I Googled about that place which is the Wakhan Corridor. Then I found um, guides, travel guides on someone's blog talking about how uh, it was quite accessible to foreigners and foreigners have always gone there to hire animals and go on treks. So I decided I have to try it myself. So I, I did. And then where, whereabouts did you sort of start and go from? So I started in a village close to Sahad. And Sahad is basically the last village reachable by car in the Wakan Corridor. It's the last village that you can reach by car before going deep into the Wakan. You could either go to what they call the Big Pamir or the Little Pamir. I went into the Little Pamir. And so what you were sort of hiding, I mean, I, I know the Wakan Corridor and it's sort of very isolated, especially when you go off the main road, you know, you're in the mountains. I mean, for anyone listening, the mountains are sort of six, 7,000 meters high. Um, and it's absolutely incredible scenery there. I mean, were you completely cut off for the time that you were there? Yes, I didn't have any cell signal. Um, yes, no internet, of course, and no electricity during the trek. And I uh, relied on food that I carried with me. So the owner of the donkey, he comes along with me. And on the way, when we pass by some Kyrgyz nomadic settlements, we would stay with them overnight. And sometimes we camped. Um, sometimes we've slept in sort of these abandoned shelters built for shepherds. And yes, it lasted for 19 days. Wow. And what were the sort of some of the amazing moments that you had along there? Because, I mean, I imagine a lot of people, especially over the last year and a half, being sort of locked up, hidden away. Um, to have that sort of sense of freedom to sort of just explore and be, well, alone is probably not the right word, but to be sort of isolated there away from it all. How, how was it? Um, it was a 
best experience of my life. Um, I really pushed my comfort zone there because I've never been so far away from um, modern commodities. No, I was in a place that was completely foreign to me. I had no idea what people would be like. I had no idea what would happen to me. I had no idea. I was completely relying on people's kindness and generosity and my own willpower to walk for so long and so far away from everyone, no contact to the world. Um, and I, it pushed, really pushed my comfort zone really far. And I have learned a lot from this journey. What was some of the lessons that you took away from it? For example, I, I learned that even in the more remote corners of the world, people know who Jackie Chan is. <laughs> okay, but for real, I, I learned that we really know nothing about this world and that this world is really full of amazingly kind and generous people and that we should not be afraid of this world. Um, I learned that there are many ways to live and just because they don't have things like electricity, schoolings and hospitals doesn't mean that they can't have a very, very fulfilling life. I think we had Ava Zubek on recently and we both spoke about quite in depth about the sort of kindness of strangers and people in the sort of Asian communities, how they're sort of sometimes perceived by worldwide press and media in sort of slightly negative connotations but or perceptions. And actually some of the amazing things that happen when you go traveling is that you break, break these sort of preconceptions down and you see such an amazing part of humanity. Did you find that on your travels? Absolutely. Yes. It actually made me uh, feel sad about my own society. So I'm from Hong Kong and I would, I would have never, people in Hong Kong are, are not as kind or as generous or as hospitable as the people I've met in Afghanistan at that time. Um, and it really, it really made me uh, realize um, just how much we are wrong about people in this world. Like people we are told to be afraid of the most are the people who have been the kindest to me. Yeah. What What is it about? Where do you think the sort of differences in sort of Hong Kong society and Afghan society are? Um, I would say the culture with hospitality is different. And also because we are such a big city and there are so many people. Um, it's not like if I see a foreigner in my city, I will not feel or I have not been taught how to be hospitable or um, feel like I need to 
treat this person as a special guest because they're in my home. Whereas in the uh, Afghan society and a lot of other cultures around the world, you are sort of treated as sort of royalty when you when you meet these people. They invite you into your into their home and, you know, tea, eggs, whatever it may be. They're very, very welcoming. Yes, um, I wouldn't say royalty, but <laughs> they treat me like a guest and how you should treat a guest, in my opinion, yes. Yeah. Um, and so from, from there, is that where you went into Central Asia, bought a bike and decided to cycle, as they say? <laughs> so I went to Afghanistan after I had cycled across Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. Ah, okay. And so what was the reason behind that trip? Was it about experiencing these sort of countries in a unique way? Yes. So after leaving London, I arrived in Bishkek and with the um, plan to hitchhike across Central Asia, because that's how I usually travel of my hitchhiking. But then on my first day of arriving, I met a girl who told me that she walked 13 days across the Pamir Highway. And she, she was traveling through by car at first by shared taxis. And she just felt like she was in a box all the time, passing through villages that she wanted to stop over. So she just walked out of a car and started walking. She had no tent, no map, no plan. And after hearing her story, I knew that I cannot travel by hitchhiking. And so I decided to buy a bicycle and cycle. Yeah, we, we had Charlie Walker on at, I think, the very first episode. And we, because we've both done cycle touring before, like yourself, it's such an amazing way to see, I would say, countries because you are going at a quick enough pace to make up ground, but also you can always stop. And people are very sort of accommodating, especially when you're on your own. They sort of see you and probably, you know, feel a little bit sorry for me as I was sort of going through. But, you know, they they sort of stop and you can easily stop, have a conversation and through conversation it sort of opens doors to new experiences yeah of course you miss out on all these little things that make your trip special and also with without a car you are completely engaged in your surroundings you feel like you're really you're with the mountains do you know what i mean and it's very different. And also the physical challenge that comes with it makes the reward more sweet. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they, those roads, especially in sort of Tajikistan, are notoriously difficult. Uh, you must have, did you find it quite sort of challenging on the bike? Absolutely, yes. When I started, I barely had any experience cycling, actually. Um, was not particularly fit. Uh, took me 
much longer than the average cyclist to go through the Premier Highway. Um, but it's possible if you have time and the willpower. I, I think when I first started, as I say, you pick up the fitness quite quickly. <laughs> I don't know, but you just go at your own pace, I guess. Some days I, I go five kilometers and then I'm like, oh, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, well, I, really. <laughs> I think, um, how was it? I think also was quite nice, especially probably doing that is that you you're at 4000 meters instead of Tajikistan when you are cycling. So for anyone listening, it's like, well, that's not very far. Um, the altitude can get you quite quickly. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, when I had when I passed the highest point, which was around, I think, 4600 meters. I had to stop really every three seconds to catch my breath. I, f I couldn't breathe. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of count myself lucky because when I was sort of cycling up the Alps, you had tarmac road, whereas when we were going through Central Asia and saw the sort of cyclists going through, you know, you are on dirt track, you are... <laughs> on rubble and so cycling over rubble at 4,000 meters up an incredibly steep hill um for anyone listening you know I cannot stress how difficult that is <laughs> yeah it was it was not the easiest not the easiest ball in a row for sure and how far did you go on the bike through Kyrgyzstan Tajikistan and then I tried to go to China but I couldn't because people from Hong Kong needed a kind of special car to go to China and I couldn't get it. So I flew to Pakistan and then I took a bus up to the north and then I cycled across the Karakoram. Oh, uh, okay. Yep. And um, how was that? <laughs> uh, it was a beautiful experience. Uh, people in northern Pakistan were very, very nice to me and really sweet and warm and welcoming and what is it about Pakistan do you feel that you love so much? So as a Chinese girl, people go crazy over you. They, are, they, want, they want to feed you all the food they have in, in their house. And they, they, want to, they, yeah, they, they want to treat you like a queen. And um, really, I was every day just surprised and it was mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing um how nice and the people were how hospitable the people were yeah i mean that's, that's something you know we hear again and again especially in pakistan is just how sort of accommodating and welcoming they are to strangers in their home and uh so in pakistan foreigners Foreigners, sorry, foreigners. <laughs> it to depends on your race, yeah. Uh, to foreigners, and uh, so in Pakistan, where did you? Were you there for quite a period of time? Yes, I was going to stay forty-five days. It ended up being six months. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And what were you doing in those six months in Pakistan? Oh, I was exploring many different places. 
um, after exploring the north, I explored central Pakistan and then the south. And so many things were happening all the time. I got invited to many different events, such as the Cholestan Desert Rally. Um, the, the Air Force invited me to the ski competition even though I told them I couldn't ski, but they were like, oh, you can still compete. Okay. <laughs> and um, it was very easy to make friends. So I made a lot of friends and lived with many of them. And it just slowly ended up six months. God. And I, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things in... Um in those countries i mean there's such amazing events going on what were the sort of highs and lows of that place um i would say the highest was when i was cycling through the north really it that was the best moment of my time in pakistan the beauty of the nature the hospitality and and the lowest is probably when I got tired of the attention of the men there. So at times it can really get too much. I suppose as a sort of solo female traveler, you've, and you've been traveling for God so long. I mean, I probably imagine a lot of people when they first start out traveling, have all these horror stories that they hear about. What, have there been moments of trouble along the way when you were traveling? So I have been lucky. I never really had moments of really life-threatening situations. And of course I've had trouble while hitchhiking. Um, I've had trouble with some men who followed me or tried to verbally harass me and so on. Don't have crazy stories, life-threatening situations. Yeah, I, I suppose what I sort of like to sort of hear is because, you know, even me, when I first sort of started out, you always do hear these sort of stories. I don't know whether that's sort of bought on you at sort of school and people sort of telling the stories of far-flung places and I mean if you listen to you know the news for long enough eventually you'll be terrified about anything but what I sort of love to hear is that you know in your six years of traveling very few moments of trouble have really occurred yeah. and you know you you're always traveling you're always putting yourself sort of out into vulnerable spots whether it's wild camping and you know i'm a big advocate for wild camping and i just think it's great to sort of hear stories of you know amazing times rather than the sort of one tiny micro percent that will always be plastered up yes um <clears throat> even if i've had even if i do experience bad moments these moments count for probably less than 1% of everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I think it's the same everywhere you go. 
uh, generally incredibly hospitable. And, you know, as we have spoken about the sort of kindness of strangers and foreigners helping you out along your travels. Was that a question? But no, no, no. It's, it's sort of more just sort of hearing your story, which I think is, you know, fantastic to sort of hear about. Ah, of kindness. Yes, I have a good one. So I was in Tajikistan and I had been sick for almost two weeks. And I was cycling, trying to pass through this road, which was between two villages. It was right next to a cliff. So when the sun set it, there was nowhere I could camp. So I waited on the road for a car to pass by. And one car did with two local men. They picked me up. I shared the back seat with the sheep. And instead of driving me into the next village, they took a right turn into the bush. And in that moment, I, I thought, okay. So here it is. This is the bad moment that everybody is going to experience. And they dropped me. Um, we arrived at a huge gate. The gate opened. And there was this big, beautiful house full of beautiful women all dressed up, which was very strange. And in my mind, I thought maybe I stumbled into a human trafficking gang. So... Um, <laughs> But then one lady, she came to me, and then finally I understood that they actually were going to have a wedding. And they invited me to the wedding. I stayed for three days. And they really accepted me like a family. And for someone like me that didn't, really have a good family experience that was really um a really i've lost my english (laughs) that was yeah that was a really um, touching moment yes it was a touching moment in my trip oh okay i forgot to say um that night when they took me in I realized my phone had dropped out of my bicycle and my bicycle was on top of the car. And I told them, oh, it's okay. It was an old phone. I mean, I lost it. Nothing is gonna, like, there's no point to be sad. And then half an hour later, one of the men who drove me there came into the house and put my phone on the table. So he had gone back in the middle of the night, look for my phone on the road. Even though I told, uh, you know, I cannot, I, where else is this going to happen that someone would go in the middle of the night to look for your phone that was dropped in the road somewhere? Wow. No, it's, it's amazing what some people do. And, you know, there's such an amazing travel community out there, which, uh, always sort of helping others as well yeah Mm. 
What is your purpose of the podcast? Just to. It's just. It's basically just to encourage people out of their comfort zone, and so the idea is by listening to more people who take the sort of plunge and go off and travel, and you know, it's sort of breaking down fears that people might have. As you say, as a solo female traveler, a lot of people would be terrified to do, you know, go to Pakistan. You know, we had Ava on and we spoke about that. And so the idea is that someone listening could listen to a couple of episodes, have the idea that she wants to go and travel the Himalayas, but is terrified of being abducted or being doing this. But by hearing your story, of how you've traveled for six years alone and never really had any many issues arise um might just sort of think oh well actually if everyone else is in on this podcast is going out and doing these things why can't i yeah you're right um so when i was 19 i was in southeast asia and then i went to iran because someone recommended me to go and then I ended up hitchhiking from Iran to France through Iraq alone. And that first that was really the first trip that showed me how capable I was and how freaking kind the world is. You know that saying, have you don't know if you know this, but recently a, a girl from I don't know, I don't remember the country, from Argentina, she published a book called where are and where are the terrorists and it talks about her experience traveling in iran and really the whole journey of hitchhiking alone i was thinking all the time where are all the bad people that people warned me about um so. yeah i mean we had um when i went to iran as i say i think we were on the border when Trump announced the end of the Iranian deal and, you know, we saw images of the American flag being burning and, you know, (laughs) everything. And we were on the border, you know, there's the Ayatollah right above us getting into Iran through Turkey. And, I mean, I won't lie, there was a sort of sense of unease about getting into it because, as you say, Mm -hmm. you are told all these stories and the reality is, is that Iran is full of incredible and amazing people. And so when we went in, we were there for sort of three or four weeks and didn't have a bad experience mm. really amongst it. And as you say, with your travels, you went from Iran and hitchhiked to France. Yeah. How, what was that alone? I mean, you must have met some incredible people. Every day, really. Every day, every step of my way, just incredible people. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so what, what, else, um, what else happened on that sort of trip? Okay, as a 19-year-old girl at that time, I really started hitchhiking not just to save money, but to prove to myself that I'm brave enough and to prove people wrong. So people who have told me all my life that... I can never be courageous. Um, society that thinks girls should not travel alone 
in such a dangerous ways. Um, and after having done that, I <laughs> have never felt more on top of the world. I felt like I could slap everybody in the face whenever they try to tell me that it's dangerous for women to travel alone. Um, I don't know for you as a man, maybe you don't notice this, but there are messages everywhere of messages that tell women that they shouldn't travel alone. And actually today, just today on YouTube, I was suggested a video. The title was, this is why you should never travel alone. <laughs> and on Instagram, I get messages from men who tell me that I'm going to get raped or that bad things will happen to me. Um, what, as an act of sort of worried or actual of like hate? No, like a, in a hateful way. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, I've had one comment. So I don't know if you remember, um, I think a few Scandinavian girls were murdered in Morocco a couple of years ago. And after that happened, I got a comment from someone saying that I'm the reason those girls died. Because I encouraged them to travel alone. So these sort of messages exist everywhere in society. And I love pushing my limits. I love sharing my story to show people that they're wrong. Well, long, long may it continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I actually got my first troll a couple of weeks ago. Won't, won't say his name. I was just like, I mean, haven't you got anything better to do on a Saturday afternoon? And it was just over nothing on YouTube. And I just like, couldn't really believe it. But as I say, I usually, my aim is just to laugh it off, not really worry about it and just move on. Yeah, no, and also, I mean, it gives me even more motivation to tell my stories and show society that a woman are capable of traveling alone. No, it's, it's incredible. And so you're sort of with, um, I don't know, COVID and everything you're sort of dotting about from Mexico to Australia? Yes. So, I mean, Australia. Right now. And your plan is to stay there for a period of time? I really don't know. Um, <laughs> but I know for sure that my next adventure is going to be back in the Middle East. Uh, okay. And what sort of adventure is uh, you planning on having there? So I would really like to continue my bike trip. My bike is in Pakistan right now. If the pandemic didn't happen, I would have gone back and cycled through India into Tibet. But right now, I think India is going to be off everybody's list for a while. So I'm thinking of the Arabic Peninsula. It would be amazing to do a bike trip bike tour all over, maybe circumnavigate the Arabic Peninsula, including East Africa. Yeah, 
God, wow. I mean, you ha- Marsha, you have some incredible stories to tell. And I'm sure there'll be a few more to come in the coming years. Oh, for sure. There'll be more. Well, there, there's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest each week. Uh, with the first being, what's the sort of one gadget that you always take with you? So I'd always take this little alarm with me that it will be triggered if you pull the pin out. And at night, I will attach one part of it to my bike and one part of it to my tent. This is to prevent someone from stealing it. Or at least I would know. Or also, it adds a little bit of safety if I put my bike in front of my, close to my door. So if somebody tries to get in, they might trigger the alarm and then I would know. Oh, that's a very clever little thing. Yeah, actually, I'm surprised not more people do it. Um, what's your favorite adventure or travel book? Um, I, I really don't have one. Okay. Yeah. Um, why are adventures important to you? Because it makes me feel alive and I feel like I am not growing or evolving if I'm not pushing my comfort zone. Yeah, no, it's, it's very sort of true. Uh, what about your favorite quote? Yeah, we only regret the chances that we didn't take. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a sort of study of old people in like an old people's home. And it was always the things that they, reg- they regret. And it's always the things that they didn't do rather than the things they did do or the things they never said rather than the things they actually said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, very nice. And people listening are always keen to travel and go on these sort of grand expeditions and adventures. What's the one thing you would recommend for people wanting to get started? I recommend doing things that push yourself out of your own comfort zone. I think that you can train yourself into being more comfortable of getting out of the comfort zone. So for example, things like taking a dance class or um, doing learning a new sport that you don't think you would ever be confident enough to do. And these small steps will build up the courage for you to finally take a big step. Well, I think dance class would certainly put me out of my comfort zone. And if dance classes don't, try maybe pole dancing classes. There are, that might be a yeah. step too far for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, there are things. These things will build, it, build up your courage to take that first step eventually. Amazing. And what are you doing now? And how can people find you and follow you on your future adventures? I'm quarantining in Australia at the moment. And I am actually learning filmmaking on my own because I want to make films in the future while traveling. You can find me on Instagram if you would like to follow my adventures. Uh, what's the Instagram handle? Oh, at the Marsha Jean. Marsha Jean. Okay, well, there will be a link in the description. On your website, you sort of talk about living in other people's fears what's the one thing that you would sort of say for people 
who are ha- have that sort of feeling. Mm, okay, I would say that at least for me, everything that I don't do or the reasons I don't chase my dream is because I live in fear that society put in me, limiting beliefs that society put in me. These fear and limiting beliefs, they don't belong in your head. So it's up to you to remove them so that you can live the life that you want and chase after the dreams that you want. Very nice. Well, Marsha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's been absolutely incredible hearing your stories. And as I say, going back to Central Asia, where I was three years ago, I mean, such an incredible place. And I always love talking about it. Yeah, it's a special place. Thank you for listening. You can watch the podcast on YouTube now. And don't forget to subscribe and sign up to the monthly newsletter, which is in the description below. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, tag me on Instagram at John Horsfall. I'm always keen to connect with other adventurers. And I look forward to next week for another fascinating tale of adventure. But till then, have a great day and happy adventures. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.